Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Man, I got to tell you how glad we are to see you this morning. You guys look amazing. Everybody's got their best stuff on. And if you don't have your best stuff on, you're like, nah, I'm rolling that tomorrow or another day. But we're so glad you're here. Whether you came because grandma made you or your wife made you or somebody bribed you, whatever the case, thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us here. It means so much. Those of you online with us today, man, we're so glad you're here. As a matter of fact, can we give those guys a hand real quick, all the people in the room? I know there are people out in the lobby, and I know there are people out in that tent, and we just want to say thank you for being with us. Thank you for hanging with us today. We're so glad you're here. we got two more gatherings today. This is gathering number six of eight, and uh, God's been with us all the way through, and so we're glad you're here. Um, our team's been praying for you guys, and our, our team's been praying, uh, preparing for you, and, and it's just an honor, man, to have people who've never been here um, or who've not been here in a long time and are back. Uh, thank you. It just means so very much to, to have you here in the room. We're here uh, to celebrate Jesus, amen. This is a celebration of Jesus, and every week is a celebration of Jesus, but today's extra special. I want you to think about what this weekend represents. If you're new to faith or if you've been around faith a long time, just remind yourself that there are literally billions, there are billions of people all over the world this weekend who are celebrating a Jewish carpenter who lived only in the public eye for about three and a half years. He never wrote a book. He never traveled more than about 30 miles from his home. He doesn't have any, tic- he didn't have TikTok, y'all. He didn't have YouTube. He, had, he didn't do a TED talk that went viral, right? And yet over a third of the world's population or around a third of the world's population on this weekend is going to gather uh, in his name and lift their hands and sing songs in languages that we've never even heard of. They've dedicated their lives to Jesus Christ. And there's no plausible explanation for why this has happened so far removed from the event of other than on Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only plausible explanation. And his resurrection is the only reason why 2,000 years removed from Rome crucifying Jesus Christians, which means little Christs, um, number in the billions, while Caesar, who was the emperor of the time, has a low-budget pizza chain named after him, which is surprisingly good. Come on, somebody. It's surprisingly good. It's not even big Caesar though, y'all. It's little Caesar and yet, and let Jesus, this Jewish carpenter from an obscure province in an obscure place, billions of people are gathered in his name this weekend because of, the, because of Christ. Amen, somebody. And, and, and so just FYI, Easter isn't the celebration of Christianity. It's not the celebration of the, even the teachings or, or the miracles of Jesus. It's the celebration of a very specific event. And this event is what makes Christianity different than all of the other world religions in that we can point to the day when Christianity began and we can point to the man who started it and billions, yes, with a B, gather in his name. And it starts with 11 guys on a hillside who see him, who hear him and see that he's resurrected and they say, Nothing can stop what we're part of. So yes and amen to all of that and to Jesus, our risen Savior. Amen. And one of those 11 guys is a guy named Peter. And Peter becomes the sort of de facto uh, leader of the movement uh, in, in the early days. And many, many years later, he would write some letters to his friends. The, these letters are called First and Second Peter. He's writing to Jewish believers who have been scattered all over. 
um, because of the diaspora, which is the, the, the spread, the, the persecution of the Christians goes and people just run. They, they spread out all over the realm. And he's talking to them about how to suffer well and how to struggle well and how to go through seasons of hard times. And he says this verse, 1 Peter 2, 21, to this you were called. To the, the, the this is doing well, doing well even when you're struggling, even when you're suffering. Because God suffered for you, or sorry, Christ suffered for you. Now notice this word here. He's leaving you, say this with me, with an, an example that you should follow in his steps. In other words, Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, the way he handled that becomes the model or the example of how you and I go through the difficult seasons of our own lives, the troubles, the trials, the, the, the grief-filled circumstances, the days of doubt, the days of depression, the days of despair. He says there's a model, there's an example that we follow when this is going down. So, so just to reset the weekend, Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection happened over three days. And so Friday was the day of, of pain and suffering and agony for Jesus. Right? Saturday is the day of confusion and loss and grief for all of the followers who had been so closely knit to him. But Sunday, Sunday is the day of joy. It was the day of celebration and victory and understanding what we're part of. And the truth is, and if you've lived a little while in this life, you know this to be true, we're gonna live through all three of those days over and over again throughout our lives. We're gonna go through the days of pain. We're gonna go through the days of confusion. But we're also gonna have those days where we have celebration. But it's in those days of pain and it's in those days of confusion where we don't know what to do and we don't know what to do next. But we all go through these days. And when, you, when you're going through these days, the Fridays, the Saturdays of life, we ask three fundamental questions. But number one is what do I do? What do I do in the days of pain? Where do I go in the days of pain? The second question is how do I get through the days of doubt and confusion? And then thirdly, how do I get to my days of joy and my days of victory. And you may not need this today. You may not need this who are watching outside or online. You may not need it today, but everybody, everybody goes through these days. And it's good to know what you do if you find yourself here. Friday is the day of pain for Jesus. Friday was the worst possible day imaginable for, for him. Now, now we, we call it Good Friday because he took on himself what was coming our way. The death, the shame, the grief. He took it all upon himself. Good, good Friday is good news because Jesus' death announces to the rest of the world who will hear, who will listen, that there is forgiveness of all sins. And his blood that's shed on the cross, it pulls back the curtain of God's mercy and, 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 it, and it lets us in on something that wasn't possible before, that that all people, every person can be forgiven and saved from, from an eternal death sentence. But this day for Jesus was not good news. It was filled with so much pain. There was the physical pain of the cross, of the whips on his back, of the crown of thorns pressed in his, his brow, of, of his beard being plucked out of his face, of the Roman soldiers hitting him over the head repeatedly with, with their staffs, right? The, the religious leaders on the night that he's betrayed, they take him, they take him to the house of the high priest and they persecute him all night long. There's no food, there's no sleep, there's no water. And then the next day they give him over to the hands of the Roman soldiers who walk him up that hill and, and he suffers the cross, the, the the worst form of torture you could imagine. Jesus experiences the ultimate in physical pain, but he also, he also experiences emotional pain. 
And he also experiences psychological pain because the death on the cross was meant to be death of humiliation. Stripped down naked in front of all of the people who are there. And, and he's Jewish and, and the people gathered are Jewish. And in the Jewish mind, there's nothing worse than being hung from a tree. Because Deuteronomy 21 says, cursed is anyone who is hung from the, the tree. So it's the lowest form of degradation and, and shame. But it's not just that. He's also rejected. He's also betrayed by those he loved the most. In fact, on his last moments, his own siblings, his brothers and his sisters, we don't know all their names, but none of them are there. None of them show up. And all of his disciples run away except John, his very best friend. And it wasn't just all of that kind of pain. There was a spiritual pain that we'll never understand, we'll never know. Because while Jesus is on that cross, he is taking on himself the guilt of every evil crime and every ugly sin that will ever be committed throughout all of history. Like I have a, a, an overactive guilt conscience. I don't know if you guys can understand what I'm saying, but when I do the wrong thing, I feel extra. Come on, like, like I lead the nation. Like I lead the NCAAs in guiltiness. Come on, somebody, right? And so imagine Jesus taking on all of the guilt and all of the shame that will ever be committed. And then he feels this pain of separation from, 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 from God, from his father, to the extent that he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One thing that you can be certain about Jesus is this. He understands pain. He knows the days of pain. He knows what it feels like. He knows what every pain that we ever will bear in our lives, he, he's been through it. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't just understand it, right? He empathizes with it. The, the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter four that, that for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize. It's one thing to sympathize. It's a whole different level. Empathize means I feel what they feel. I, under, I don't just feel sorry, but I'm feeling the exact same thing. He, he's, he, he's not unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted or tested or tried in every way just as we are. And yet, he did not sin, which makes him this perfect, spotless, sinless lamb of God. So in response to that, let us then approach God's throne of grace. It's a throne of majesty. It's a throne of power for sure, but it's also this throne of grace. We can do that with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 2 says that because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted or tested or tried. He knows. Your father knows what you are going through. And there is no one who understands us like Jesus does. And there's no one who knows us like he does. And he helps us in our time of need. So what do we do with the days of pain? We do what Jesus did because he's our example, Peter says. He, he did two things that I think we can model and, and follow after. The first thing he does is he, he reaches out to his closest friends, the friends that he has in faith. On the night that he's betrayed, John 13 records this moment well. On the night he's gonna be betrayed, what does he do? He gathers all of his closest friends, those 12 guys that he'd been doing life with, and they share the Passover meal together. And, and, then, and then they go out from there, and this is really about the ministry of presence. The kind of friends who they don't necessarily know the right words to say. They don't know how to make you feel better, but they're just there. And this this ministry of presence. He goes out and he prays to a place to pray. 
He brings all the guys with him, but he pulls three of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, and he says, come with me and, and just be with me here in my deepest hour of need. I, I just need my friends to hang out with me. And, John, and Matthew, Matthew's gospel, Matthew 26, records this moment. Jesus went with him to the olive grove. It's really the olive garden. Come on, somebody, you gotta go to the olive garden when you're struggling. You gotta have the bread and the salad. Come on, the soup, right? <laughs> Terrible joke, sorry. Um, it's the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And, and he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. And notice these words, he became, he became anguished and, and distressed. There are moments in life, and if you've lived a minute, you know this, where you're in anguish and you're in distress. It's the day of pain and you don't know what to do. And so he gets his friends, he says, he says, Hey guys, my soul is crushed with grief, like it's at a soul level. To, to the point of death, stay here and keep watch with me. And he goes on and it says, he went on a little farther and, and the pain is so severe that he falls down on his face. And he prays, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me, yet I want your will to be done not mine. There's much to learn here in this passage, but I want to point out just two quick things. First, that even Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is God in human flesh, he needs his friends in the dark moments of the days of pain. And the second thing I see here is how gut-level honest he is with them. He's not hiding it. He's not masking up. My soul, fellows, my soul is crushed to the point that I feel like I'm not going to survive this moment. And I think it's true of us that often I'll say this, it's true of me that often when I'm in pain, when I'm going through the times, I, I, I feel inclined to pretend like everything is good when it's clearly not. And I think what Jesus is showing us here is that God doesn't want us to repress or, or suppress our pain. He wants us to express our pain to our friends and, and to confess our pain to, to our Father. And in this moment here of revealing and, and, and honestly refreshing honesty, Jesus reveals that it's okay to have emotions and human emotions and, and he feels alone and he feels forsaken. And, and as I'm reading this this week, I, I'm reminded that there are times when I felt forsaken. I'm sure you can relate. There's times when I felt abandoned or alone. And, and when I feel that, I, I know I'm in, company, in good company because Jesus knows. And, and so he doesn't just take it to his friends, but he also takes it to his father. He reaches out um, to God. The, the truth is in life, um, your closest friends and even your own family won't always be there. They can't always be there or they won't, they won't know what to say. They won't know how to help and that's why you have to know that you have a friend in Jesus and he doesn't get tired of you and he doesn't grow weary with your stuff and he won't let you down and, and he says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you and never will I leave you hanging. And, and Mark, John Mark's gospel um, he, he writes um, this same story, but he, he includes a little different words. He says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground, prayed that if it's possible, the hour might pass from him. And then he cries out, Abba, Abba. Abba is an Aramaic word meaning daddy or papa. It's also a mediocre Swedish band, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Come on, somebody. If that's your band, my bad, my bad, right? Right? It, it's, the, it's the word that every Middle Eastern child learns early in life in Jesus' time. And, and what Jesus is showing us here is that sometimes the anguish, the pain of the moment is so severe that you don't know how to pray and you don't have the right words. And Jesus is saying sometimes all you do is just cry out, 
Abba, Dad, Father, right? And in those moments, your Father knows. It says, Jesus teaches about prayer. He says, before you even ask, before you even say what it is that you need, your Father already knows. And he sees and he hears you. And you just say, Father, Dad, help, help me. And he does. And that's Friday, the day of pain. But then Saturdays, the Saturdays of life come. And Saturdays are the days of confusion. And if, you, if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to think about them. They've spent three and a half years following him, hearing him, seeing his teaching. Nobody's ever taught like him. Nobody's ever done the miracles that he's done. But, but now your champion, your king is dead. And what are you thinking in this moment? We, we call it Good Friday, but it wasn't good for them. Everything that they'd hoped in was there on the cross, dead. Not, not just dead, but crucified like a common criminal. The mission is a failure. The mission is a failure and you're in despair and, and, and there's this sense of what, what do we do now? And the Bible says that many of the disciples just gave up. They went back to their previous jobs. They just started fishing and doing what they were doing because they're like, he was who we were pinning our hopes on. And now he's dead on a cross. It's a day, it's a Saturday, a day of confusion, a day of feeling overwhelmed. And, and there's darkness now. When you're in the days of confusion, you don't feel like there's light enough to see the way forward. I don't know about you guys, but darkness wrecks perspective. I'm 51 now, and I'm at that age where I can drive like a NASCAR driver during the day, but at night, come on, somebody, I'm a little less confident. Come on, all the 50s and up, come on, you unite with a brother. You make fun of the people when you're young, and then you become that person, and then you're like, oh... Stay away from me, everybody. You're too close. Get out of my river. The lights are blinding me. I'm eating all the carrots. My night vision's not getting better. <laughs> darkness, come on. Darkness closes in and it wrecks perspective. When, I don't know if you've been through a season of depression. I have. But it's hard in that season to remember the promise of your past. It's hard to feel like there's a future that's out there and the walls of confusion and doubt close in. And it causes you to lose perspective they lost perspective and they're confused because they thought, hey, this is the king. He rode in on a donkey the week before. Everybody was shouting Hosanna to him, he, but he's not going to be that kind of king. They think he's going to overturn the Roman Empire and, and rescue the people, but he's dead. What happened? What do we do now? When, when you're in the Saturdays of life, I think it's true from my own perspective, my own experience, that you feel stuck can't go back, can't go forward, don't know what to do, stuck here in the middle of, of, of the promise and, and, and the past, and, and it happens to us all. Everybody goes through these day, the Saturdays of life, and, and there's a thousand ways that we get there, but the question is, what do we do? In the Saturdays of confusion, you, you need to remember the promises of God. There's this old saying that says you, you never doubt in the dark what God showed you in the light. Just, just meaning that there are, there are moments of victory, there are moments of, uh, of joy in your life, and in those moments God speaks a lot to us, and you remember, you hang on to the promises of God so that when the darkness comes, you understand 
that he's not forsaken you and he's not forgotten you. And so Jesus does this for his disciples right before he's crucified, right before all this goes down. He gathers them. This is John 16. I'm not gonna read it because of the time. But, but he says, guys, this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna be arrested. I'm gonna be betrayed in the hands of the sinners. He says, you're gonna be without me for a while, but you'll see me again. He's promising them that he's coming back. He says, you're gonna weep and you're gonna cry and you're gonna mourn and you're gonna grieve, but eventually your grief will turn into joy. And, and, and then he says, Here, here's what I wanna, he, he gives them a metaphor. He's like, it's like a woman when she's going through labor pains. It's anguish and it's distress and it's painful. But when her child is finally born, she, it wipes away the memory of the pain. Praise God for that because none of us would be here if not, right? Because they'd be like, I ain't doing it the second time. Come on. But, but when they see that baby, that new life wipes away the memory of the pain. And then he says this, he says, and nobody's gonna be able to take your joy from you. And, and, and he says, when I come back, you're going to be fearless and you're going to know that you can handle everything. You're going to know as part of a plan. And there was this grand scheme. But the truth is, it's not easy to remember that there's a grand plan in the days of doubt, in the days of confusion. We lose perspective. And this is why we go back to God's word again and again. And remember that so much of what is happening in our lives or that is happening to us in our lives, it's just a snapshot. It's just a tiny piece of glass in, in a mosaic that is the, the great story of God that is unfolding all around us. And it feels like destruction and it feels like the end. And, and what is weighing so heavy upon us now, the trouble that comes your way, the, the craziness in our economy, the turbulent times that we face, it's just a snapshot. It's not the end. It's just a bad turn in the story of God. And I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what you're experiencing in your life at home, but I will tell you this, that our God does know what you're going through. And he is a promise-making and he is a promise-keeping God. And if you read the Bible from beginning to end, you'll find that our God is unswervingly faithful to the people that he calls his own. And even when they're not unswervingly faithful to him, he never changes his position. He never changes his posture. He's locked in on no matter what you can count on me. And there are 7,000 promises or so in the Bible. And some of you may be going right now through a personal crisis. There may be a major upheaval, upheaval in your life, in your work, or in your business, or in your job, or in your family, or in your marriage, or in your health, or in your finances. And there are these moments, and again, I know, I know this, where it feels like everything I worked for, everything I put in for, it's just all going to ashes and it's all falling apart and I've got nothing to show for it. But, but there is a promise for you in God's word, Isaiah 61, God says, to all who, say it with me, to all who mourn because of the days of pain, because of the days of confusion, to all who mourn in Zion, I will give beauty, come on, say it with me, beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, and, and praise, instead of the old translation say, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's the promise of God. There's another promise in Isaiah, in Isaiah 41, that I've held on to throughout my own days of confusion. And that's this, when you go through the deep waters, come on, not the little potholes of life, the deep troubles, the great troubles of life, I'm gonna be with you. 
And, and when you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. It's going to feel like you're drowning, but you're not drowning. And when you walk through the fire of oppression or depression or divorce or financial ruin, you will not be burned up. The flames will, come on somebody, will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God and Savior. You and I. We need a savior, right? In this life, we need a savior. And the only way we're gonna get through the days of pain and the days of confusion and get to the days of joy is, is, is that we need a savior because we can't resurrect ourselves. Only he can. And, and so you trust him. You trust him in the days of pain. And you reach out to your friends and you reach out to your father and, and, and you, you remember the promises and he brings you through into resurrection Sunday, the day of joy. So, so Saturday, day of confusion, Sunday morning, some women who saw where they buried Jesus, they get up. It was the Sabbath day before. They couldn't do it on Saturday. So they bring spices. They're going to embalm his body because they want to make sure he's embalmed. They, they arrive at the, at, at, the, at the tomb, and before they get there, they're like, who's going to roll the stone away for us? They know there was a massive stone there. And when they get there, they find the stone has been rolled away. They, the, the guards that had been there were gone, and, and, and there's an angel. Come on, that's a whole nother level, everybody, right? There's an angel there, and he's like, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus Christ. Christ is not here. He, look at his clothes. They're folded neatly right there. He's still alive. Go tell the friend, go tell the guys. And, and so this is going to be a dangerous mission to go tell everybody. By the way, it was a woman that takes the good news out for the first time. Just throwing that out there. Amen, somebody, because I know some folks... Anyways, I'm going to keep it rolling. I'm going to keep it real, right? Right? Come on. Go tell everybody that hate is out and love is in. And the crucified carpenter from Nazareth is now the master of the universe. Tell them Jesus Christ is risen. Tell them the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. Death is defeated. Sin is forgiven. Hope wins. Hell loses. Christ is risen. Come on, somebody. He's risen from the grave. And, and, and the resurrection changes everything, right? Once they had seen the empty tomb, once they had seen the nail prints in his hands, he shows them, hey, I'm alive. They're willing to gamble their very lives to tell other people that this changes everything. And one of the reasons that I know that the resurrection actually happened is because nobody signs up for suffering, for persecution and martyrdom, which the disciples did by a matter of historical record. Nobody does that to perpetuate a myth they know to be false. Because if Jesus is not risen, nothing else matters. But then if Jesus is risen, nothing else matters because it changes the whole thing. The whole thing has changed. And when the disciples see him, they're like, okay, now we're not afraid anymore. They go into Jerusalem. He says, go in there and wait and tarry there. There's going to be some power that comes upon you. And all of a sudden, the guys who ran for their lives are now emboldened. They go back into Jerusalem. They preach the gospel all across the region. They start to go on missionary journeys. Thomas, one of them, doubting Thomas. You remember that brother? That brother makes it all the way to India to share the gospel. And in three centuries, the entire Roman Empire is Christian, including the Roman emperor himself. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. They had seen the resurrected Christ. He gave them power and they believed with their very lives. How do we get to the days of joy? You do what they did. You rely on the power of Jesus. Listen to me, it's gonna be more than effort. It's gonna be more than willpower alone. You can't resurrect yourself. You and I need a savior. We need God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's why it's called salvation. If you could do it on your own, if you could take yourself from here to there someday, then Jesus coming and dying on a cross was a waste. 
But believe me, if there was any other way that we could go from here to there without somebody having to pay the price for our sins, don't you think God would have chosen a simpler way than letting his own son die a humiliating, horrific death on the cross? There was no other way. John records this conversation with Jesus and a, and a Pharisee who is a religious leader named, named Nicodemus. And he's having this conversation and he says, here's why God did this, Nicodemus. For God, say it with me, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I know the pushback. I know the pushback because some of us are like, well, what do you mean just believe? That's it? Come on, man. Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've been part of? Do you know how all the things that my life, my story, do you know my story? And this is why I'm so glad Jesus wasn't done talking because he goes on and says to Nicodemus, for God did not send his son into the world to, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And Jesus is saying to this guy, Nicodemus, this religious leader who's, who knows all of the Old Testament, all the law, he's telling him, I am the sent one of God. I am the one who reconciles people back to their creator. I am the means by which God can give life again. I am the way that hearts that are doomed and dead because of sin burst forth into brand new and everlasting life because of the grace of God in the finished work of the cross and because of an empty tomb. And Jesus is telling this guy, and by extension, all of us here that God isn't coming down to point his finger in your face and let me say let me pour a little more condemnation on you than you already feel right you don't need more condemnation you need a way to be forgiven and free and Jesus is like I'm not here to condemn people I'm here to save the lost I'm here to offer hope I'm here to bring forgiveness I'm here to pay the price I'm here to wipe away the debt that we've all accrued I'm here to make a way for people to be right with God I am the friend of sinners and this sinner is so grateful for that. And our instincts are always like, well, how do I fix the mess? How do I clean up my mess? How do I get by my own works? How do I get out of the days of, of, of all this? And the answer is, you can't. It's already been done for you. You don't have to do anything. It's already done. When he said it is finished, it was done. And he says, whoever believes in him will not perish have everlasting life and this is how you get born again and this conversation in John 3 you can read it for yourself it's all about how to be born again how to be made new you don't do anything you don't pay anything you don't earn anything you don't achieve anything you don't strive for anything you just believe in something in fact you put your faith in someone and it's the kind of belief it's not just hey mental assent no 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 it's the kind of belief that says I put my confident trust in the finished work of the cross of Jesus I believe that he paid the price, and I believe he paid the full price. And I believe that if I ask him, he'll come and forgive me. And I believe that if he forgives me, he gives me a brand new spiritual life. And if I have a brand new spiritual life, then I become the son or the daughter of God. And I, and I believe that when this flesh fails and dies, that my spirit will live on forever with him. I believe that his grace is bigger than all my mistakes. I believe in Jesus. Whoever believes like that, he says, will not perish. And, and I've just been praying all week um, for all of us who've made our way here that we would just find the capacity to understand how very much we are loved by God. There's a guy named Paul. 
He wrote about two-thirds of our New Testament. He establishes a church in a town called Ephesus, which the ruins of it are still there in this present day. And he prays this prayer for them that I pray over you. This is my prayer for you. This is Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Those of you in the days of pain, those of you in the days of grief or loss or confusion, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell, that Christ may come live in your hearts through faith, through belief. I trust that word is pistis. It just means belief. And, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Why that? Because the waves come in life, do they not? The wind blows, the storms come of life, right? And we feel like we're going to be swept off our feet. And so Paul says, I'm praying that you won't be, that you'll be rooted, that you'll be established in love, that you'll have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how, how wide and how long how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to, and to know this love that, that goes beyond all possible imagination and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is my prayer for you. And I want to give you one more prayer and then we're done. The band's going to sing a song. And, 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 and I'd love if you would actually join me in this prayer, if you would read it with me. Would you say it with me if you feel this? If you declare, come on, say it. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Say it again. Come on, somebody. Those of you at home, don't, don't cheap out on us. Come on, man. Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart, come on, say it with me, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. I'm just going to invite you in on that prayer. Let's just pray that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying for the people, Lord, who are going through the days of pain right now, the Fridays of life, the people who are going through the Saturdays of confusion and overwhelmed and they feel stuck and they feel abandoned or, or forsaken, whatever it is that they're feeling. I just pray that they would know that you understand, that you see them, and that you know them. And that if they're going through the fires and if they're going through the floods and if they're going through the difficulties that you are with them, that's the promise. You will not forsake them. You, will not, you have not forgotten them. And, and I pray that anybody who has never experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ in their lives, that they would just declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. They just ask him to be the forgiver of their sins. God, he will, you will. You will forgive them immediately. You are faithful and just to forgive us, the Bible says. No matter what the mistake is, no matter where, how far we think we've, we've fallen, your grace is enough. That's what Paul said. Your grace is enough. God, we declare with our mouths that you are Lord, and we, de- we believe it in our hearts that, that you were raised from the dead on this day all those years ago, and we believe that, we confess that. God, I'm praying your best, your strength, your goodness, your grace on all of us. And God, here's what we know. We have found in Jesus a friend like no other. We praise you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. 
If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.